It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. The following is brought to you by the Leave It in the Ring Podcast Network. All boxing, no filter. Greetings, and welcome to the Boxing Esquire Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Boxing Esquire Podcast, presented by The Ring and RingTV.com, and distributed by the Leave It in the Ring Network. I'm psyched to have as my guest on this episode, 2020 International Boxing Hall of Fame inductee, top promoter, film producer, and minor league franchise owner, Mr. Lou DiBella. Lou shared his feelings on not being able to enjoy his induction into the Hall of Fame this year due to the COVID shutdown canceling the festivities. We spoke about how Major League Baseball is making a mistake in retracting a big part of its minor league system. Talked about how Top Rank is managing and implementing their COVID protocols and still putting on shows and how Lou's fighter Michael LaPierre's uh, COVID situation went down. Also, the, the financial burden of testing and uh, how particularly rough it is on smaller promoters and shows. We discussed what's next for other members of uh, the DeBella Entertainment roster, including Regis Progre, Amanda Serrano, Ivan Baranchik, Jerry Forrest, Kevin Farmer, Charles Conwell, Bakadir Jalalov. Uh, also find out uh, if Lou's making plans to go to Bahrain for the big boxing summit there later this year. It's a lively and informative conversation. I hope you enjoy. It is my absolute pleasure to have on the Boxing Esquire podcast my good friend and uh, 2020 Hall of Fame inductee, uh, promoter, legend, my man, Mr. Lou DiBella. Welcome to the Boxing Esquire podcast. Uh, it's good to be with you, Kurt. And, and, and honestly, I, I'm not a big podcast listener, even though I'm constantly on them. Um, but I actually think that your podcast is one of the most interesting and brings one of the more uh, unique perspectives with your, your background as an attorney and, and, and your work in boxing all these years. And it's actually, to me, one of the more interesting listens in, in, in boxing pod world. So congratulations on, uh, on filling what I think is an interesting niche. I appreciate that. Appreciate that, man. So, so hey, we these are absolutely bananas, uh, you know, days that, that that we're living in in, in 2020. Uh, just talk to me a little bit about how your how your summer's going and and with COVID here in uh, in New York City. You know, I mean, my nobody in my family is sick yet, and I've lost friends, and and I have three businesses that are not at all operating right now. I mean, uh, and I, you know, in a lot of ways, the minor league baseball situation for me has been even more frustrating than boxing. I mean, it looks like we're not going to have a season at all in minor league sport baseball. And we're in a dispute with the major leagues that, that major leagues are sort of strong arming the minor leagues to gain control of them. And it's been a, you know, all of a sudden baseball is not my safe place anymore. There is no safe place. But I guess we're all in this together, Kurt, man. The whole fucking world is fucked right now. And, you know, I'm not going to feel sorry for myself. It's, it's definitely the most challenging times I can remember. It's certainly the most challenging time since I've had my own business. And um, or now I have three of them, multiple businesses. And it's, it's 
just a trying time for all of them. You know, I think these are the kind of times that you, you learn a lot about people and you got to try to be your best in bad circumstances. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, one thing you unfortunately missed out on was, was Hall of Fame weekend in Canastota. I mean, you were one of the, the 2020 inductees who unfortunately had your induction and, you know, in your parade in Canastota canceled. I mean, how, how did you deal with that? I mean, you know, the, the, I, I was really looking forward to that weekend for like, you know, from the second I, I was told that I got in, it was like my second instinct after incredible gratitude. My second instinct is this is going to be a great party and I want to get all the people I care about there. So I had like over a hundred people that were coming to Canastota. So, uh, you know, I mean, it's just a bummer a little bit, but I guess look, you know, the recognition and, and, uh, of getting into the Hall of Fame and, and what that says about, you know, my career and, 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 and the fact that that gives me something of a legacy in the sport, no matter what happens from here out. Um, I mean, that's really like great stuff. So the fact that we weren't able to have like the party this year, this summer, or have our own moment, you know, it's a bummer to look at all the people that missed their weddings and graduations and and everything else, all the college graduates, uh, you know, this year that didn't have senior week and right. all the high school kids that didn't have proms or whatever. So I think, you know, I mean, I mean, you know what, hopefully God willing, we're back to normal by June of 2021 and we're combining the two classes. And I think it's going to be a stellar class next year. And maybe it could be like a giant boxing party and, a, and, and I'm looking forward to that. But look, the, the hall of fame, getting into the hall of fame when I was a kid, at six, seven years old, you know, baseball and boxing were the two the sports I first attached to. And, you know, my grandparents turned me on, my grandfathers turned me on to boxing, and my dad liked boxing. And, and, and uh, you know, I, I, that was just always something to me. Muhammad Ali was my, my, my hero, you know, and then later in life, he became someone like a friend, like someone I knew, you know, and, and I mean, Hagler, Hearns, Leonard Durant, and then these guys became my friends and I worked with all of them. And, you know, the, the history of boxing for, from 1989 to, to, to 2020, I think I've been a significant part of it. And it, it, it's been a crazy ride. I, I've had, a, I mean, from 11 years at HBO and, and having the ascension I had there and getting to run programming, having Seth give me as much, you know, freedom and, and leeway as he did. I mean, we, we wound up having a, you know, breaking up back then on not the best terms. Now we're friends again, but he, he gave me a tremendous opportunity to go to HBO and to change the nature of boxing program on at HBO. And, 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 you know, I had, an, there was an incredible crew of people there back then. Taffet, you know, doing pay-per-view with, with me. And, 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 and then you had Ross Greenberg's production unit and, you know, with like one of the best broadcast teams in the history of boxing. And it was just a great ride there. And then I told someone to go fuck themselves and I, my, my career <laughs> arc changed. Um, but, but I, I'm not going to complain because I actually think it was best for everyone involved. I mean, maybe not best for boxing. I hate to say that, but I think it was, I mean, it may have been best for me that I, I left because I don't think I would have survived the last 20 years if I didn't have other things I was doing with some of my time. You know what I mean? Having the production company and messing around and getting the opportunity from Sly Stallone and being in that Rocky movie and then, you know, producing a bunch of films and, and then, you know, getting the involvement in the baseball teams and then getting to the point where I was managing partner of two minor league baseball teams. So I got to do a lot of other stuff, even though boxing was, in effect, my bread and butter and where I spent most of my time. But even though I guess I didn't have much free time, the other stuff 
allowed me to balance out boxing. I love boxing. I will always love boxing. It, it's in my blood, um, and, and it's in my DNA, and I love the theater of it and the poetry of it. And yeah, it's dark, man, but the world is fucking dark. I mean, look at fucking White House. I mean, the world is dark, so boxing's dark, yeah. Right. But are we dishonest? I mean, is baseball better than boxing? Fuck no. <laughs> you know, or the NFL, or good, you know, come on. Right. And by the way, before there was a black manager, a GM, or owner, in all of those major leagues, there was fucking Don King. Right, right, right. So, I mean, you know, I mean, like, you know, boxing for all its issues is, I think, maybe one of the sports where there's less of an issue with racial inequity than, than most, you know? And I don't think that that's because, like, we're better than the world. I just think that we, I mean, we're also, it, it's it, the, the extent to which we have kids from around the world in different backgrounds, Latin, black, white, um, Asian uh, go through the gamut. I mean, all over the world, Eastern Europeans. Now, it's always the newest immigrants and the poorest people that get into boxing. And as a result of that, you may have the racial differences and ethnic differences and religious differences, but you share, you know, you go in the gym and you sweat the same sweat and you bleed the same blood, but also you are of the same generally more disadvantaged class. Right, and that is a that's a factor that ties all boxers together in in a lot of ways. You don't see rich kids fighting. Right, right, no doubt. Well, you also look at. I mean, if if someone were to look in and actually, you know, find some governance in this sport, which it really doesn't have a lot of, but you look at the heads heads of the, all the sanctioning bodies are either you know Latin or black. So I mean, you definitely don't see that in any other major sport. Yeah, but you know what too? I'm, a lot of the, some of those heads of those sanctioning bodies, Mauricio Suleiman, I consider a dear friend. I mean, I respect the guys at the IBF and and Paco. I have you know as a friend, I respect them. I enjoy their company and all these guys. But we all have to look at at the whole system that governs boxing right now. And and, and it, I mean, you know, you wonder why. The, the there is there you know I, I guess it advantages too many people but there'll be six or eight uh, world titleists at every weight class mm-hmm. but but honestly it disadvantages the sport and, and we have nobody out there really looking out everybody's looking out for the score right. and and by the way like I'm not going to lie to you I mean I got to worry about survival man I don't right. have a platform now attached to me right. so I'm worried about survival so when I'm worried about survival it's hard for me to to you know to do all I might be able to do to try to cause there to be some positive change, but we need to fix our business. No mistake about that. We need to fix our business. And and all sports right now, I mean, baseball could say the same thing. Believe me, baseball needs to fix its business. Right. And the NFL too, and there, there's issues across the board at all sports right now, and, and then lay a pandemic into that that we have no idea when it's gonna end. Right. And and it's it's this is these are really interesting, heady times that are going to see a lot of changes and a lot of challenges. And I think boxing was going to be challenged with or without the pandemic, but with this pandemic, it's changed the whole thing. I completely agree. I completely agree. Actually, speaking of, of podcasts, yeah, my, my friend uh, Evan Rakowski did a, did a podcast where he was kind of talking about these things. You know, normally that's what I do on my podcast is talking about how, you know, we could use an overarching uh, organization, uh, you know, to, to, to get this thing organized. And he's, you know, saying like conditions now post COVID and with, you know, top rank, you know, openly putting themselves on the market and, you know, PVC on the down low, putting themselves on the market. 
Like now might be the time. Maybe it, but then maybe it organizes figuring out who the smartest people with the best work ethics are, right. who care about the sport, right. and right. figure out a way to give give them some, you know, get them involved and raise enough money to, in effect, roll up the sport and try to start from scratch. Right. That's almost what we kind of take right now, right? Because. Right. You got multiple avenues with multiple exclusive contracts and multiple people needing partners or maybe looking to sell. I mean, fuck, Aram, I can't believe he hasn't sold already. The man's like pushing 90. I mean, God, God, God bless him because he seems to be like more of a road warrior than I've ever been. <laughs> um, you know, but, but, but if I was the guy like that, what the fuck were like, what, at what point do you cash out? I don't know. Right. You know, I, don't, I mean, and, and then, you know, I, I guess any business endeavor, you want to know what the end game is. Because obviously boxing has there's been a lot of money lost and invested in recent years with an attempt at building stuff. You know, PBC investing a lot of money to build a brand. The Zone investing a lot of money to try to build a worldwide streaming service. You know, um, and then ESPN initially use, using boxing in the beginning as a real lure. You know, when they didn't have a lot of other stuff that was on Plus yet, and then now it's a component of both Plus and Linear. So like, you know, you have these these People are invested in the sport, um, but then you got to question also: Are we delivering, and are, are we really making new fans, and are we generating uh, excitement, and are we offering the best quality product in order to get the best results? And I would argue that we're not offering up the best quality product to get the best results because people are looking for results in their own lanes, right. in their own avenues, right. and and. Um, And I, you know, I would argue right now that the way business, like these exclusive deals and, and the nature of the business right now doesn't lend itself to making the events that the sport so badly needs. Right. Well, it's you know? interesting, too. And, and by, the way, by the way, now with the pandemic at the moment, that's somewhat, I mean, you got to shelf that a little bit because at the moment, it's just not cost effective to do the biggest and best fights. Right, right, right. Well, I mean, you're, you're really uniquely positioned to talk about this because you're actually an owner in another sport that has organization, that has structure, um, you know, the, the, the you know, minor leagues. Um, yeah, but I got to be honest with you, the minor leagues had structure and organization, but we were basically all in, um, you know, it was one big happy family, especially like, like on the exterior, there was never conflict between major league baseball and minor league baseball, we were always like the adoring, the adoring stepchild kind of thing. Right. And I don't think anyone ever believed that in effect, the major leagues would turn on the minors Hmm. and want, and want to extinguish 25% of the teams and cut the draft and lay off over a thousand players and, and, you know, um, try to basically take away the franchise values of 160 little businesses in, 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 in primarily industrial and working class and poor towns and cities all over this country, many of them heavily minority, heavily, heavily black cities and in the South and stuff, and take, and take away the businesses from people that are serving their communities 
Uh, why? And, and who does that during a pandemic? So, yeah, the baseball thing, I don't know how much more perspective it's given me, to be honest with you. <laughs> it, t- it, it took what used to be – baseball for me was like – I used to feel like there was all this negative energy in boxing, but baseball was about fun. It was about fun and families and affordable entertainment. And frankly, like I, I think the reason my team in Richmond's done so well and we're doing well now in Montgomery is because we have an attitude that like minor league baseball is what's great about baseball. Right. And, and we try to offer people a fun experience. Right now, man, it's like the the behemoth, you know, the billionaires on Park Avenue control Major League Baseball, who for the most part are labor lawyers on the corporate side, who are just leverage guys, like they're trying to crush something that's beautiful, that actually serves their own interests. I wish wish Rob Manfred loved baseball the way I love baseball. And I'm just a fucking fan. I mean, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm managing partner of a couple of minor league teams, but, but for the, I'm just a lifelong fan. That's what I am. But I wish that, like, I could tell by the stuff he's doing that he cares about uh, minor leagues and, and the people the minor leagues serve. And I wish I could say that I thought he loved baseball. But at the moment, I'm wondering. Uh, yeah, that's crazy. I know in my hometown, there's the, the Seawolves. Uh, I think they were a part of the Giants organization at one point in time. I think they got, they've been passed around. I think the Cardinals had them for a little while, too. But yeah, man, I mean, that's that's their shot at, you know, professional sports is a minor league baseball team, you know? It is, it is a big at, deal. Look at how many people that go on to buy tickets from major league teams and move to major league cities and become season ticket holders. How many people in this country, their love for baseball began in a minor league stadium? Right. For a lot of the country, that's the case. Imagine having grown up and having a baseball team. It's like this song, There Used to Be a Ballpark by Sinatra. Imagine, right. imagine growing up in a minor league city where that team was there your whole life. And now, you know, the, the major league owners decided we want to save a couple of bucks. And literally, I'm talking a couple, like negligible compared to the amount of money they spend on free agency and all the other bullshit. But, but to, you know, because they want to do that to destroy something that's a fabric of 40 places. And neither of my teams is being, is, is, is being contracted. And probably I'm better off not saying this stuff publicly. Because, you know, I mean, but, 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 but the reality is, I, I just think that what's going on, all the strife between the major league owners and the players and the players association, the inability to get on the same page, it's really hurt baseball. And then at the same time, you're sitting there and you're looking to destroy a part of baseball that's part of the best of baseball. You know, the minor leagues and baseball on a grassroots level. And, you know, the, you know I mean, minor leagues are much more where you get that, you know, baseball hot dogs and apple sure. pie yeah. you know and 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 it's just sad to me to watch what's going on right now in the world in general in my country and frankly in sports right right now it's really grim times right now but i mean i guess w- one last question on that if let's say you know carlos slim tapped you on the shoulder and said you know lou i'm a big boxing fan big fan of you um you know if if we were to uh to to consolidate this thing and and throw some money at it like how would you structure it if if you could if you could like you know if if, if you had the wherewithal to to in, in essence take over the sport how would you structure it how would you you know would would you have tournaments in each division you know like every other sport has with playoffs you know how would you divide it up amongst the networks um you know, how, how would you, if, if, if you could wave the magic wand and, and be, you know. Yeah, but you know what, I'm, I'm not really willing. I mean, to be honest, I have loads of ideas about how things might work. But right. there's a million different ways 
something could be new could be constructed and something bigger could be constructed. So I don't want to limit it. And the other thing too, is I would say that I think that, that it really right now, the quick, I mean, if, unless you were looking to invest money with a really long term, you know, but people generally don't sit there and wait for something to build over a decade. Right. Do you know what I mean? Right. So if you if you're looking to make a difference really quickly, you got to sort of roll up the sport. Right. I mean, if you if you rolled up the sport, and I, and then by the way, you're going to have legal issues potentially and, and antitrust, like whatever. I don't know, but but if you were able to take the biggest, like the top rank stable, the PBC universe, and and now you got that you got with you got the the entities that are already doing business with the zone. Let's say Len, the guy Len who owns the zone. Let's say he said, "Fuck," you know. If I'm going to be in combat sports and I, I got the resources, you know, rather than than you know bleeding money, I'm going to make one really bold play, and I'm going to go out there and I'll spend a billion dollars to buy the major players in boxing, right. and then I'll bring in the promotion and boxing, you know, or at least I'll bring that into my fold. Right. You know, right. if someone had that, it's going to take a lot of money, right. and and you have to, you know, and you have to go to to talk to, you know, to, to Aram and, and Todd and, and to Al Heyman. And, and, and then it's a decision that, I mean, that's a profound decision for the guy running, you know, who is the major shareholder in, in the zone. That's a big investment. Right. But that to me would be the quickest route to, you know, and, <clears throat> and by the way, you don't just roll in the couple of biggest, you roll in the whole, you roll in the business, right. you roll in people that have the talent to, to put into the equation and, or also people that are, uh, good at promoting in certain areas of the, you know, the country and, and, and certain cities, uh, you know, to a big national endeavor, you know, people may look at a Russell Pelson and say he's not valuable. I'll say Russell knows boxing in Philadelphia better than anyone, you know? Right. And, and Russell, you know, I mean, Every once in a while, he you know nowadays. I mean, in the seventies, he was dominant. But you know, every once in a while, he gets world class fighters now. But like like in baseball, you know, you have to have you know developmental uh, cards too. You know, guys just don't jump into world class fighting. You know, I mean, they they have yeah, to be built. Really, but you know what you do need to have though, and MMA has more of this, and boxing needs to to have this. The developmental fights can't continue to be like really overmatched. I mean, a couple of times that can happen, but if you, if you de-emphasize the undefeated record, because to me, I mean, there are guys out there, I can point to you loads of records, 15 and 0, 19 and 0, 23 and 0, and the guy's completely ordinary and, and the record is completely manufactured. And I've often used the expression, I could get a ham sandwich to a 15 and 0 rating. (laughs) And, but like, you know, I, I think that the records are overstated, but I'd rather see like if a guy's in great fights and he's fighting other prospects and the fights are like, are like life and death, who cares if he loses a couple of times? Right. Right. You know, but, but like, but, but this gets into the four different ratings organizations and four different ratings. And, right. and I mean, look, you would, wouldn't you think, wouldn't you think that, um, wouldn't you think that if there, there are four sets of ratings of like in one organization, it's top 15, the other might be 10 or 12 or whatever, but there's four organizations. Wouldn't you think that the overlap would be incredibly significant? 
<laughs> like when you think that if people are using sort of cri- normal criteria, yeah, like I, maybe between four organizations, there are, there are three or four guy, guys in each weight class different. But would you think that a lot of the time they look, the ratings of each weight class looks completely different right. in you know, and then don't even get into the politics of it because if you get into the politics of it, you're going to see that you can't really trust those ratings to be, you know, above board. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, listen, my my, you know, I love the World Boxing Super Series. I see every other sport does playoffs and determines one champion. I don't know why boxing doesn't do that. Any any. You know, uh, one who wants to roll up the sport and do that, I think that's that's a massive start on, on you know, promoting boxing and, and putting boxing back up to, to being one of the top sports and top where you can actually follow it and be interested. You know what, Kurt? Kurt I don't expect <laughs> anyone to roll. I don't, I don't expect anyone to roll the sport up. Like, I don't think that anyone, that's going to happen. You know, and I think it would be very, very difficult if someone wanted to because, you know, there's a long-term top-ranked contract with ESPN. There's you know, PBC and, and, and Al, I, I'm, 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 I am not an Al Heyman hater. We've done a lot of business together and I still consider him to be a friend. And, um, he's one of the smartest people I've ever, ever known, but I've never known more of a control freak than Al Heyman. <laughs> like he's a complete control freak. Right. I mean, Al likes to micromanage and be, I mean, he's the boss and it's just, you know, it's, he's not necessarily kind of guy that falls into something, but I don't know. I mean, I was, I was also a few years older than me, and I know that at some point people start looking at, like, you know, what's the exit plan or what's the ultimate plan for this brand, you know? And he what's did sell ult- off his music business, so it's not unprecedented. I'm sure he loves music as much as he loves boxing, Right, too. so, I mean, it's, you know, anything, <laughs> is pos- anything is possible. But I just think that there's a lot of, you know, it's a lot of strong egos involved. It's a heavy whatever. lift. But, it's a heavy but, lift. But I'll tell sure. you what, the paradigm of boxing as it's presently constructed, it's not working. Right. Absolutely and that's not. not my opinion. Right. If you sit there and you really look at all the money being spent, the eyeballs coming back, the amount of revenue being generated, it, 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 it needs to be fixed. Right. But we're not the only ones. God. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Well, speaking of fights, COVID, all of that, um, you know, Top Rank has uh, started to put some fights back on, on ESPN. Um, you know, you've, you've have, you have a number of fighters who, who are involved with this. Um, I guess, you know, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of issues with this, but, you know, you, you had, uh, you know, Michael LePierre, uh, slated to be in a main event and one member of his team, his manager tested positive and out of an abundance of caution, which I think was correct. They, they, uh, they canceled that fight. Um, top rank is saying they're spending half a million dollars on testing. No, um, I believe that they're spending all that. And right. by the way, no, I agree. and by the way, when they're doing cheap fights right now and people are complaining or whatever, I'll say this, at least, you know, look, they started and it's an incredible endeavor to try to, to work your way through this. And, right. and by the way, we may be in this COVID thing longer than people want to admit. So, you know, someone had to be the first one. So you know, yes, there have been a lot of problems. People are testing positive. People can fight are getting canceled. You know, late Pierre's manager, he tested negative on Tuesday. The day before the, the night before the fight, tested positive. Mm. They didn't do the fight. And, um, and on Friday, he tested negative. And then on Saturday, he tested negative. So he tested 
negative, one day later, positive, and then two days later, negative, three days later, negative. So it's an imperfect thing, this testing. And the bubbles are imperfect things. But it doesn't mean we can't, we, we, we can't, we're not doing the right thing by trying, but damn, these are trying times right now. Right. I mean, these are crazy, crazy times. Imagine being late to year and, you know, you take off from work right. to, to go to the fight and then the fight's canceled and, you know, and then, you know, it is what it is. It's just tough times. Right, right. I mean, I guess, you know, thus far, you know, what have you thought about the, the, the fights on, on, on ESPN and, and so on with no crowd and, and so on? I mean, it's kind of the new norm. Um, and I guess, I guess my question too, with, with the, you know, top rank saying they're spending that much on testing. I mean, how are smaller promoters going to manage that kind of testing? No, they're not going to, you can't do a local show until you're not going to have, you know, you're not going to have local shows. You're not going to likely have show boxes, for example, unless show showtime increases the budget to make up for the lack of a, of a gate because on smaller budget shows, the gate is a much more important part of the equation. Right. Actually. And, and, you know, you can't do Broadway boxing on UFC. I can't do those shows, domestic U.S. I mean, I, there's no way because, the, 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 I'm, you know, my gated and my, my live gate sponsorship are a lot of my revenue. You know, yeah, you know yes, the, 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 the streaming or TV money on the smaller shows helps, but it's one component and the economics don't work unless somebody makes up for that money. So, there's, you know, no one can afford to do shows to lose money. You've got to pay your overhead. You can't afford to lose money. You need to bring in revenue to pay your expenses. So it's, it's the majority of, sm- you know, the, the guys that are going to be doing shows right now, you're gonna, I'm going to wonder why. Maybe it's ego stuff. You know, some desperados are, but, but, you know, I don't see a lot of small local shows happening in a responsible manner. Let me qualify that, in a responsible manner. Right. You know what I mean? Because right. if you want to do go into a jurisdiction where you don't have to test anybody, and you, and all you need is an eye test and an HIV test, then good luck to you. But I don't want to. I don't want my fighter going near your show. Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's talk about some of the uh, some of the action or or negotiations for action that's going on with uh, the Bell Entertainment's roster. I guess I'll start with uh, Regis Progray. Um, you know, you know was, what? They're really it, it, during this pandemic. There's been no negotiation really over Regis Progray. Okay, okay. In the set, in the following sense, Kurt, we had a deal to fight Maurice Hooker. Right. Okay. Now, uh, Eddie came back and he said, "I know Regis wants to fight, and Maurice wants to fight, so I can cut the money and give a date by the end of the summer." And from our standpoint, we were like, "We're all ears." But we had been hearing that there were some issues with the weight with Hooker. And then we wondered, we weren't going to get into a negotiate against ourselves because we had a 50-50 situation with Hooker and the deal we already had. So any cut that we were going to take was going to be commensurate with whatever Hooker took. So I sort of said to Eddie, you will go try to get a deal done with Hooker. And then Hooker came back and, and said, I can't make 143. I need two more pounds. This is after everybody signed contracts. You know what I mean? <laughs> Right. And and then Regis is like, I don't want to go up to that weight because I, I want to come back down to 40. I want to fight Ramirez and Josh Taylor, and I want to come back down to 40. So I don't want to go that close to 47. I'm not doing that. And then and then Hooker never agreed on the, the money, which I, I get. I mean, there would be a negotiation. But it, right now, the, Regis isn't coming down to 45. Regis isn't coming down with a pay cut to fight at 145 pounds because a guy 
just decided, fuck it, um, you know, the catch weight in the first place was to help Hooker. If Hooker didn't want the fight, he shouldn't have signed the contract for the fight. But, I mean, Regis doesn't need a 143 catch weight. Right. You know, Hooker's getting bigger, and Hooker was like, yeah, I'm having problems with 40, so we agreed to 43. But then on short notice to come back and say, no, well, we can't make 43, so you've got to come to 45. And by the way, we won't take a bigger, you know, you've got to take the same pay cut we're taking, and we, we won't come down to below 145, and that's why the fight's not happening. Gotcha, gotcha. Any, anything else on the horizon for, for Regis? Anything, any other I mean, he needs, he, fights he out there? Fight. So, I, I, I mean, look, there are guys, you know, we would fight pretty much anybody that was put in front of us that's a 140-pounder. Um, and, and I've, you know, there's this Urga show fight, has been fighting on, on Showbox and on Showtime. So like, there's a guy that's in the Showtime universe that we would consider, um, you know, we want the biggest fights. I mean, what's unfortunate about Hooker also pulling this, this stuff at right at the end was that Baron check went and took a lower money fight on ESPN. Now it's a good fight. He's fighting as a paid on ESPN, but there would have been a lot more money for Ivan to show, have a showdown with Regis. And that's a fight that I think, you know, multiple outlets would have paid a lot of money for, you know, wow. but, but where it's not available because he committed to fight Cepeda and we've done a deal at ESPN. But that's what happens when a guy like Hooker, when the weight thing comes up, I mean, they went back to him and said, we have a date for you. We just need you to take a little bit less money. And then the response was, yeah, but we can't make the weight. <laughs> And by the way, that's 143 with two months' notice. Right, 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 right. Okay. Wow, well, that, you know, boy, Baranchik and, and Progray would have been interesting, too. Ah. Yeah, right. but I mean, it's just, I mean, it would spill milk. But I was just making the point that by, by sort of delaying, if, if he was, if he needed to be a welterweight, I wish him I would have just moved to welterweight. Right. You know, right. and that never signed at a 143. Right. I mean, I understand that bodies changed and, and, and these times are weird and everything else, but you shouldn't decide. Right. If you're going to sign, then you should, you should fight. Right, right, exactly. you got to sign contract, got to make the weight, but that's uh, crazy. It's crazy. So another one of these fights that's kind of, you know, with, with COVID and readjusting purses and all that that seems to be uh, a little up in the air is uh, Amanda Serrano and, and, and Katie Taylor. Uh, take, us, take us through what's going on with that one. Well, I mean, originally they were going to fight in, in May. And, and honestly, frankly, you know, we got a signed deal, but it was an incredibly hard negotiation. And Amanda's people were never thrilled about the money, considering they were going to the UK in a stadium on a, you know, undercard of a pay-per-view. Um, but they, they made the deal that they were going to the fight. They trained for the fight and, and COVID hit. So no fault of nobody. May 2nd got, got postponed. Um, I think it might have been wishful thinking by Eddie, but he rescheduled the fight for early July. And um, I had my doubts all along, you know, given the nature of COVID and the uncertainty or whatever. But then, you know, that date went away. And a couple of weeks ago, Eddie came back to me and he said, would Amanda take a pay cut? Not a, not a huge pay cut, but a pay cut to get the fight with Katie you know, at my, at, at, you know, my outdoor fight camp thing at the end of August. And, um, and I went to, you know, I didn't even have to discuss it really much with Jordan because I knew that his position was they weren't willing to take a pay cut. They rescheduled to July with no pay cut. They weren't willing to take a pay cut to go in August. Um, 
And I went back to Eddie and I said, she's not willing to take a pay cut. That's the position of our, our side. And Eddie said, well, then if she's not willing to do that, I, I can't do the fight until probably October at the earliest. Um, because I have to wait till I can sell tickets. Right. And then Eddie came back to me again, like last week, the end of the middle of last week and said, you know, go back to Amanda and offer, tell her a 10% pay cut and we'll go August 22nd. And, um, Jordan put out press release or something, but whatever he made. I mean, no, he actually, that was after I went to him. He said he's, he's on the same sort of position, which was, was, um, I'm not taking a pay cut. Um, and then Eddie came back Friday night and said, well, we'll, we'll do it for the original deal we had. And I, and I presented that, but Amanda's been in discussions with some non-boxing reality show and committed herself, I think, to something on Telemundo. And, um, and the other pro- is, is a couple of other issues like apparently that are affecting uh, their, their team is, you know, concerns about the travel uh, between here and the, U- and, 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 uh, the UK and the possibility that she would have to, she would train for a third time and have the fight not happen. Um, but right now I, you know, we're still talking and, uh, and we'll see where it, where it goes from here. You know, today the New York times put out an article this afternoon saying that the EU is likely to prohibit travel from the U S to the EU. Now hmm. England's not in the EU, but you would think that England probably would follow a health and safety directive that was being followed throughout the EU. You would think. Right. Right. So I don't know, even know at this moment in time, whether on August 22nd is viable, but, but you know, I, I, Eddie did increase his offer back to where he originally said he wasn't going to go. And that was to the full, to the full amount. Um, at that point, Jordan, I guess already had been talking to Telemundo. Um, but I, I you know, I mean, we're, I, we're going to see where, I'm going to give it a day or two to see, talk through the thing totally. But, but I got to tell you, there are some issues, even if everyone was on the same page, right. there, are, there are issues as to how travel restrictions and this COVID thing might once again potentially affect the fight. But, um, you know, that's sort of where we are. Wow. So, so you do have a, a couple guys coming up on ESPN, like you said. Uh, the Beast, uh, Ivan uh, Baranchik, he's, he's in with uh, Jose Zapata, which would be an awesome fight on, uh, on July 7th. And uh, newly signed heavyweight Jerry Forrest is going to take on uh, Big Baby Miller. Uh, talk about that fight a little bit. I don't, I don't want to, I'm going to let you talk about that. Fight. What, do you think, <laughs> what do you think? What, what do you think about the fact that oh, after Jesus. after the heavyweight championship gets canceled, <laughs> fight at the Garden falls out. Andy Ruiz comes in and sets the apple cart in the division. The whole universe of heavyweight boxing changes because Jarrell tests positive for a bunch of stuff. How do you feel about no one ever telling Jarrell he had to get tested over the last year? And by the way. By the way, I like Jarrell personally, so I'm not right. going to shit all over him. Right. And I'm also going to say this. If a guy isn't told that he has to test and he knows that he can, it looks like he can get away with not being tested over the course of time, I mean, am I really – is it the system or is it him or is it both? 
Well, yep. it's, it's definitely the the system. Um, you know, he would be banned for at least like a, a year or, or two. Uh, you know, in, in any other major sport, you would think with that many PEDs. Yeah, but the, how do you how do you look? I've I've worked in New York and done shows in New York forever, so I'm not going to shit on the New York Commission in a global sense. I don't have. I don't have the same worldview toward the New York Commission that a Hauser does. Right. I, I think that the New York Nobody Commission. Nobody does. Is, <laughs> you know, I think the New look. I look. I think the New York Commission has made a lot. There's issues, but there are issues with every state athletic commission, and I certainly think New York is on the better spectrum than the the least effective spectrum. But but this idea that because that you could see New York doctors or fail physicals in New York and the New York commission could be aware that you cheated or be aware that, that you have a detached retina or be aware that you have a bad head test. And because you weren't licensed already, they don't tell anybody is complete irresponsible and reprehensible bullshit. Right. Right. So that, that fight's going on in Nevada, right? I mean, what is what is the Nevada commission uh Well, the, the fight wasn't made until 30 days before the fight. Mm, so, right, I mean, right, so what right, you can't right. remember, I mean, what are you going to do, order drug testing? Then it's too late. Right. I mean, by, right. By, you know this, by the last four weeks, three weeks, three, four weeks, yeah. a guy could be cycling off. Absolutely. So it's, you know, I mean, they're going to do probably the normal drug, you know, testing that they do the night of a fight and the week of a fight. I don't know if they're putting... I don't. I have no idea if they're putting him through anything more than that over the last four weeks, but it doesn't really matter because right. when you start your testing in the last within the last four weeks, it's, it's not effective. Right, and yeah, and, and and demanding some Vada thing at this point, yeah, like you said, it's it's like a waste of money. Um, I guess with uh, with I mean, to be honest, I mean For, Forrest, I think Forrest has a good shot in that fight. You know, I mean, I think I signed Forrest not knowing this fight was there. And I signed Forrest. I signed Forrest because I wanted to sign Forrest the night I saw him fight. Um, you know, look, I was familiar with his background when he was like, I remember that he fought Brazil early, et cetera. But he never had anyone treating him like a prospect. He was always treated like an opponent. And, right. you know, he was thrown in on short notice in one of those fights he lost early on and whatever. But I've watched the guy fight. And a lot of his fights, his, his manager, uh, um, uh, uh, Hogan, uh, I think is his name, James. Um, he has a manager that's really done, you know, spent a little, invested a lot in him, got him a lot of fights, et cetera, but they've been on like the local circuit because he was a full-time electrician and he was fighting sort of on the side and, you know, uh, and, 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 and they had sort of built his record. And then the Franklin fight was one of the first fights he had with a guy. I mean, he beat a couple of guys before that that were decent, but the Franklin fight was really the step-up fight. And I thought he clearly won. Like, I, I didn't even, like, wait for the decision. I went to get a beer when I was watching it in my house. I came back, and I saw Franklin was, like, I, like celebrating. I was like, what the fuck just happened? You know, and then I went crazy on social media, and I tried to call the kid that night. Um, and... Uh, and and I did call the kid that night, and I said I want to work with you. But like, it, he reached out to me during the pandemic just to shoot the shit and like chat, like you know, and um, and and he and, and he'd never done, they never did a deal with a bigger promoter. And I said to him, I said, look, I think I can help you because I think you could fight. Now I, the Jarrell Miller fight with Jarrell coming off this kind of layoff, and not know, you know, I don't know what his situation is going to be, whether he's 
clean or not because he hasn't been tested. But he certainly has gone through a lot over the last couple of years and hasn't been very active. And I think Jerry might be the guy that's been more focused in recent years. So, so, and, and Jerry's got a lot of talent, and this is a tremendous opportunity on an, on an, on an international stage to be able to fight a guy like a Jarrell Miller, where if you were able to pull the upset off, you are now in the top echelon of heavyweights. So for Jerry, this is just an incredible opportunity. Right. You know, and he had been contracted before the pandemic to fight Philip Hergovic. And his purse for the Jarrell Miller fight is actually higher than his purse would have been to fight Hergovic, and that deal was made before the pandemic. This one's being made into the middle of the pandemic. So I think this is a better opportunity at, at, a, greater, at a greater purse for, for Jerry. And, um, and I'm happy to work with him because I think he can win this fight. And by the way, if, he gives, if, if it's life and death with Jarrell Miller, um, I'm not going to say it doesn't matter if he loses, but it's still a win. Right, right. Yeah, I think, you know, with, with Miller, I look at him kind of the way our old friend, uh, may he rest in peace, Johnny Boz, used to look at uh, Jamil McCline. I mean, Jamil was a big guy with quick hands who was really good against the other big guys who were more lumbering. But when you put him in with a smaller, quicker guy, he definitely had his problems. So, yeah, it's, you know, I, I think Forrest is, is very much a live, a live dog in this fight. Uh, well, look, I, you know, people have been taking hits at top rank for matchmaking on some of these early fights. And frankly, like top ranks matchmakers are really good. Absolutely. I think the early fights, I think the early fights, the nature of them, a lot of it deals with obligations and expenses and the cost of testing. And frankly, when you're paying more attention to protocols than you are to, you know, you know, you're going to start slow. You're not going to come out with your biggest product right. uh, and, and lose a phenomenal amount of money on your better product, you're going to come out and try to test the waters and figure out how to do it right. But like from a competitive standpoint, they, the Jarrell Miller, Jerry Forrest fights a real fight. I mean, that's like, I don't care what, and by the way, if the odds are really long, people should take a good look at that fight. Oh, I completely agree with that. Completely agree yeah. with that. Yeah. I definitely yeah. think he's a live dog in that one. Yeah. I like, you know, they're matchmaking. Yeah. There's definitely some, some really good fights. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to coming up on their schedule. Um, you know, well, Branchik is a part of you, one of them. But um, just a few more guys on, on, on the roster I wanted to ask about. I know that uh, Tevin Farmer has that rematch clause with Jojo Diaz. Where Where is that uh, negotiation, if there is one, uh, uh, going on? Well, I mean, there, it, it was already we – we didn't think it was a negotiation. We're just, we were just waiting for a date. Right, right. Because we already negotiated our side. And, um, and then I guess – there are issues between Jojo and his own promoter about what his expectations are in terms of pay. And then there's a mandatory that I know the top rank, I'm sorry, that golden boy acknowledged that we had a deal and golden boy. I think they preferred a a bigger money fight as a rematch with Kevin farmer than a, a, uh, a mandatory with an unknown opponent. So they were, I mean, they made that deal for JoJo's benefit to get him the title shot. But then JoJo and the manager contacted the IBF and said, we would prefer to fight our mandatory. Now, I think that might just be part of the negotiation between JoJo and his promoter. And, um, but I think that, you know, JoJo is coming off an injury. Um, the zone hasn't done a domestic U.S. fight yet. 
And uh, I'm hoping to get that, that that fight will happen as soon as it possibly can, but we haven't been given a day for it, and that's where it stands. But our deal was negotiated long before the pandemic, and, 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 and you know, there's no issues on the money. On JoJo's side, I guess maybe, I don't know if he agreed, pre-agreed yet with, with Golden Boy or if he's still in the middle of a, of a negotiation, I don't know. But our position is we have a valid rematch clause for an immediate rematch, and we're waiting for the date. Gotcha, gotcha. One or actually two more guys on the on the roster: Sergey Derevyanchenko. I, I keep hearing rumors about um, you know uh, big fights well, coming I mean, for him. What's... I, I mean, to be frank, he's not really on the roster for me on the roster anymore. I would love to work with Sergey again, but you know I had a limited amount of time after the the fight with Golovkin to try to get him a date someplace else, and I was unable to secure a fight plan for him any place before the pandemic, and now the pandemic hit. So I think that his management's, you know, he's with Al Heyman and Keith Connolly. And I've heard that he might have a deal to fight Jamel Charlo. But, to, you know, at the moment I'm not involved, though I would love to continue to work with him. But, okay. um, you know, I was unable to, I couldn't secure a fight for him, you know, within that time frame after the, uh, the Golovkin fight. Right. Okay. And by the way, that's sort of unfortunate because you would have thought that somebody would have done a deal for that guy coming out of that fight. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Absolutely, but I, but I, you know, I, I, you know, it's the nature of the game. Absolutely, absolutely. One last question for uh, Charles Conwell. Uh, would uh, I know that uh, we were? I mean, he was. He had a fight that was like in April, and that was canceled because of COVID. Right. So he had a he had a main event on Showbox coming that Tony Holden, who's one of my partners, and and, and Charles was uh, was going to promote that was going to be on Showbox. Uh, it actually wasn't my show. Charles was the main event. Um, I was in, it was an association with me, but the other fights were a couple of Dave McWhorter's guys that I don't promote. But, um, but that show obviously was canceled before, before, because of COVID. And I guess we're waiting for a rescheduling of Charles next fight. But I, I think Charles is one of the best prospects in the world, period. Absolutely. And I think at 154, I think he's already a contender, but I think he's like literally a guy ready for a, a really fast rise. Um, look, this, these are, these are not good times if you're a rising guy, just right. not, right. not good times for a prospect, not right. Know? Yeah. That, that's brutal. Yeah. I'm a huge, huge Charles Conwell fan. By the way, the guy that people <laughs> should also be looking at on my roster carefully is the big Uzbek. Oh, I believe yeah. he's the best heavyweight prospect in the world. Right. right. And right now, you know, he's, he's been jumping between pro and amateur um, and he's, he's number one ranked amateur in the world. He was going to the Olympics this year. Part of the reason I never progressed him past very pedestrian guys and never put him past the six round fight was because I knew all along when I signed him that he was going to, you know, compete for Uzbekistan in the Olympics. It's a promise he made to his late father, but dude, he, this guy is a freak of nature, man. Like, I, I mean, I really mean that. Like I've, you know, you don't hear me hyping. Heavyweight boxing hasn't been where I've spent most of my time. You know what I mean? I've had right. some good heavyweights, but but I'm telling you that I have a heavyweight champion now. And I'm telling you that this fucking kid, like, he's huge. And he's got huge power. He can hurt you with very short punches, but he has huge power, power in both hands. But what differentiates him is the speed and the agility and mobility he, he, he moves like these other Uzbek guys do. He has like this mobility and athleticism, but he's a gigantic, hard-punching heavyweight. He's, I really think I have a great fighter there. 
That's you, you're talking about is a is a Bakadir Jalalov? Bakadir Jalalov. Yeah. Bakadir yeah. Jalalov. Right. The big Uzbek. Right. <laughs> yeah, I've seen him. I mean, I didn't see Beware much of him. Beware the big Uzbek. <laughs> By the way, right now, I mean, I'll send them to Italy to fight Guido Vianelli. You know, Guido wanted to fight in Italy sometime in the next, you know, I mean, he'll take a fight. We'll take an eight-round fight or a six-round fight, um, you know, before he goes to the Olympics. I mean, I, I'll pull it out for that level of fight because I think he's a level above. I think he's a level above the Sonny Contos and the. I mean, and I'm not. By the way, I'm not saying I don't think Sonny Contos is a prospect, or I don't think Guido's a prospect. I just think Jalalov is a level above. I completely agree. Completely agree. Really devastating puncher, big lefty. Um, I mean, I take. I would take the American kid. I would take the other big baby, who, by the way, is a baby, and I can understand why they wouldn't do it. But Jalalov, even though he's also a young kid. The second he goes full-time pro, either after the 2021 Olympics or because there are no 2021 Olympics, when he is completely focused on being a pro, he immediately is a danger, immediately, to anyone in the division. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Lou, I, I, I know you're, you're busy. Um, I, I guess I have one, one last question. I just wanted to know if you've already made your plans to go to Bahrain for the World Boxing uh, Summit um, later in the year <laughs> that, uh, that Bob Arum uh, was supposedly heading to. Uh, have, you made, have you made your plans yet for, for Bahrain? I will not be in a <laughs> I will not be in a <laughs> My friend, it's always a pleasure to be with you on, on the Boxing Esquire podcast. It's, it's, it's been a joy. Thank you for having me. All right, my man. Really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. And that will do it for another edition of the Boxing Esquire podcast presented by The Ring and RingTV.com and distributed by the Leave It In The Ring Network. I'd like to thank Lou DeBella for taking the time to speak with me. It was a great conversation as always. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment or a rating on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Audioboom, SoundCloud, or wherever you access the Boxing Esquire podcast. Really appreciate it as it helps new listeners find the podcast. And also, do not forget to check out my companion piece to this podcast on ringtv.com that will also feature quotes and background on the interview with Lou. And until next time, so long, everybody. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.